Okay, good. So we want to welcome you to our Growth Path class on tools for healthy relationships. And I just kind of want to set the tone for today's Growth Path seminar. This is going to be Bible-based concepts, but as most of our Growth Path classes, it's going to be interactive. We'll take questions, uh, and we will focus on doing some exercises and some different activities. So prepare your heart to participate, especially if you're new here and it's your first time. Uh, just be ready to get to know the people around you. And my name is Hazen Stevens, and I'm teaching this with Gretchen Christie, and uh, and super excited just to get to put on this this seminar for us today. And so there's basically four areas where we are going to explore how we can develop in, in healthy relationship. Obviously, these are not the exclusive areas to developing healthy relationship. I mean, literally, there are probably hundreds of books and different topics and different things you can study on the Bible on how we can grow in relationship with one another. But we picked four, Gretchen and I did, that we felt like were on our heart from the Lord for today. And those four are communication, which I'll cover in our first session. The second session will be boundaries, which Gretchen will go into that. Who here is Red Cloud and Townsend's book on boundaries or is familiar at least with it? Okay. And then we'll also do a session on, on conflict resolution and then lastly forgiveness. And see, we teach a lot of Bible-based classes, especially when we do uh, Sermon on the Mount or when we do our inner healing classes or when we uh, go through, you know, our prophetic etiquette. We hit different hit these different topics biblically from different angles. But we want to focus on in our growth path topics is how do you take biblical concepts and live them in a very applied way? And so, you know, there's the, a lot of times we get revelation, but revelation doesn't always translate into action, right? It should, and that's, that's our goal, certainly, is that we would be touched, that we would be inspired, and that we would learn, have a new lens with which to view the person of Jesus and Scripture. And that's what Bible-based teaching should give us, that clean conviction of the Holy Spirit, that empowerment for the Holy Spirit to live different. And so we have a ton of Bible classes that we offer, but in our growth path, what we a lot of times want to do is want to bridge that gap between biblical revelation and practical experience by taking a coaching approach and a facilitating approach to how we teach these classes. Does that make sense? So although there'll be some lecture today, there'll also be a good bit of interaction. And although we will talk some about Bible verses, a lot of this will be seeking to apply. How do we apply those things in the context of how we live currently? Amen? And so I want to take a moment and just pray for us, and then we will jump right in. Father, I thank you for each and every person that's here. And I thank you that, Holy Spirit, you're the one that washes and renews and cleanses our minds and our hearts and conforms them to the image of Christ. I thank you, Lord, that to receive from your Holy Spirit, it's a sanctifying experience. And I just pray First Thessalonians 5.23, that the God of peace would sanctify us completely, body, soul, and spirit that we would be preserved blameless until the day of Christ. I, th I thank you for that sanctifying work in our souls, Lord, being transformed into the image of Christ. And I pray in every way, Jesus, as you were the most healthy, whole man that ever lived, because you were without sin, you were without offense, you communicated who the Father was perfectly to his creation. I ask in the same manner, Lord, that we would relate, communicate, forgive we would engage in conflict in the likeness of your son and i pray that very sincerely before you right now father knowing that you are the only one that can do this for us and for all those listening by audio i pray that very sincerely right now that we would see jesus and how he lived and how he walked 
and that we would have revelation that we would walk in the same manner that we would walk in love and in forgiveness and in clarity of communication and in healthy boundaries I pray these things in Jesus mighty name with confidence God that you are going to help us today amen and amen good so if you grab the growth path tools for healthy relationship communication handout this is my handouts are just one page today and so because I have a tendency to uh, to go way beyond I, I could spend probably the first 15 minutes just on <laughs> point one and often do and so I tried to keep my notes very concise today Gretchen this is the first time we've actually taught a seminar together she's been my TA for over five or six classes um, that I taught in our school of ministry Gretchen actually she has uh, I've asked her the other day I was like do you feel like I've discipled you because she sat in like over 70 of my classes as a teacher's assistant so I was like for better for better or worse you have sat under my teaching and I think it's for better I was asking her though is it for better is it really for better she said yes it's for better it was very very good news to me <laughs> So, because, you know, you'll know them by the fruit. And, uh, and so I'm honored to, uh, and I'll say more about Gretchen invited up here, but I'm honored that um, as my TA and administrator and partner in crime and so many different things that we do together, that, um, that I get to say that, uh, that there's no one better to teach tools for healthy relationship with than Gretchen, Christie and I, because we have learned how to have a more healthy relationship over the course of our friendship over the past five years and um and so we've learned by experience what not to do <laughs> and uh and and what to do in a lot of cases and i'll try and draw from our friendship over the years even as as is appropriate to kind of illustrate some of these points but it's a real privilege to get to teach this seminar with her so and she has extensive notes on all this topic, and i'm sure she'll say this when she comes up she was saying i can't get them down i can't get them down and i was saying yesterday i was saying yeah, I'll probably make the notes and only do point one or whatever. But she was saying, I can't get them down. So I think she has like 12, 24 pages, a small book. She wrote a small book. She published it yesterday, and she'll be handing that out shortly. So, yeah, so I'm going to open this first session in communication. You guys probably are thinking right now, you definitely are a communicator, Hazen. Because <laughs> I'm communicating. I am communicating right now. But we're not talking about public speaking. We're not talking about uh, diarrhea of the mouth or being verbose in communication. How many of you know, actually, one of the more challenging things in communication is the art of being concise? And more importantly, in a lot of these notes on communication, I want to emphasize the art of listening. Because a lot of times, the quality of what we say is only uh, in our ability to communicate is fully dependent on the intensity with which we've listened and focused. And so we'll talk a little bit about communication, and especially interpersonal communication. So when I say communication here, I'm not talking about, although these, these can apply in preaching, teaching, presentations at school, or at work, the primary thrust of this communication is going to be within the context of your relationships. How do you communicate with a child, a spouse, a friend? How do you communicate with the Lord? And more importantly, how does he communicate with you? Because I think these, these principles that I'm about to elucidate of that word elucidate 
I got to make sure that I'm using that correctly, though. Could you Google that real quick? Just to make sure I'm, it would be awful in the communications thing if I was using words improperly, especially big ones, because you sound smart when you use it, but if you bomb it and use a big word wrongly, but I think, check me on elucidate, Gretchen. But, um, but again, <laughs> try and illuminate, elucidate the, uh, I hope I didn't just straight up make up that word, because that would be embarrassing. <laughs> we'll find out shortly. How, it means to make something clear, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> Fist pump. All right, and so uh, going to elucidate how we can actually do these things, and, and what I was saying was how the Lord actually does them with us, because these five characteristics that I'm going to highlight on quality communication um, are really a reflection of how God engages and listens to us. And I'll try and bring us back to that point as often as it's pertinent. So what's kind of cool is uh, I learned these five means of communication from a men's group. I want to give credit where credit is due, run by Larry Bolden in the name of his ministries, Wellspring. And, um, and I did an intensive men's group. And this is one of the tools that they teach. And they call these the BLESS skills. And so it forms a helpful little acronym for remembering them. And so I just want to say that up front. Um, because I'm going to give you five tools. It's going to take a lot of practice for you to fully grasp these tools. We're going to post this audio by midnight tonight. I'm committed to you guys to have this audio posted because you're probably going to hear these and you're going to go, I need to hear that again and I need to read the notes again. I need to practice the blessed skills in my interactions with people. And so the blessed skills stand for these, these five things. Be fully present. Listen in three directions. Effectively ask questions share from your heart, and savor the moment. And they're right there, point one, two, three, four, and five. Okay, and so the acronym is BLESS. Be fully present, listen in three directions, effectively ask questions, share from your heart, and savor the moment. And I've internalized this through literally two years of guys' small groups in which we practice these skills. So don't be intimidated by the clarity with which I practice these skills or communicate about them, because that's why I'm teaching the class. And so a lot of times people come to a class, they hear something in 45 minutes, and they're like intimidated by the level of the teacher's competency or, or whatever in, in proficiency and whatever the topic is. And I just want to encourage you, don't be intimidated because it's like you're picking up a guitar today for the first time, you know, if you go out to practice those blessed skills. And it's like you see that guy who, who's played guitar his whole life, and you're like, I want to do that. You get all inspired. You think it's amazing. You pick up the guitar, and it's like, clang, clang. And you're like, I'm never going to get there. And you just put it down. And so if you see these, these skills illustrated as, as I communicate about it and demonstrate it, don't, my point is, you know, I'm a more proficient musician, communicator in these five topics because I've had probably hundreds of hours of practice with my wife, with others, intentionally engaging in this. So don't be discouraged. I just want to say that as a disclaimer on the front end. Does that make sense? And there's so much more that could s be said, but I wanted to be as unintimidating as possible and just leave it to one page for you guys, okay? All right, so this idea of being fully present. So let me illustrate what not to do with regard to being fully present. So Josh, I, you wanted to come have this counseling meeting with me, and um, just let me just check this real quick, hold on. Okay, you can go ahead and start. I'm just going to answer this while we're while we're sharing there. Go ahead and what was the issue you want to talk about? Good? 
No, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, all right. There you go. Okay, I'm ready. All right, go ahead. Anything on your heart today, bro? You want to share with me? Okay, that's, I was, for those who are on the audio, I was just on my phone while I was trying to, <laughs> I'm sorry, Josh, I didn't, Josh, like, that actually kind of hurt, that was, <laughs> you know, and, and then, now you do want to share something with me. So, uh, another thing, real quick, just to illustrate, okay, for the audio, I'll describe in a moment what I'm doing, but, um, so, Diane, you wanted to talk to me, go ahead, talk, <laughs> I'm leaning back, got my arm up on the, now, what's the difference in what I'm communicating with my body language? I, I believe I've heard studies that say, you know, 80% of your communication is actually, it may be higher, is nonverbal. Okay. So if I'm leaning in and making eye contact with Diane and I'm not on my phone, what am I communicating to her? I'm communicating, I'm interested, I'm with you, I'm, I'm ready to listen. Okay. Now, if Diane starts to talk with me, another simple tool, I didn't put this in the outline, but simply reflecting back to her what I've heard for clarity at different points in the conversation will let her know that I've heard her. And I'm doing that to track the conversation myself and as well communicate to her, I'm listening. Okay? And that's not so much um, for, that, that is as much relational as it is informational. Does that make sense? I'm actually communicating something to her when I reflect back to her. It's not just for the purpose of, did I hear that correctly? Does that make sense? Although it serves that purpose as well. Okay? So I'm not, I <laughs> have silenced my phone. Uh, my body language is communicating that I'm present. And then I put it on here. I'm, I'm making a conscious choice. I'm making a decision to be present to them in the moment. What does that mean? This is actually a discipline in terms of our thoughts. I'm not thinking about where I've just been or where I'm about to go. I'm thinking about what we're doing right now. I'm probably not as good at that as I am good at telling you that's what you should do. <laughs> that is one where I am still very much a work in progress. But I put it here, we don't contrive this. This is not a manipulation. It very easily could become a manipulation. I say when we teach our pastoral care counseling, um, we put some of these same things in our pastoral care seminars, so you, so you may recognize some overlap. But I say in there, and our evangelism seminar, it's really true that, um, that technique without heart is manipulation. Okay? But to have technique with heart, that's just skillful execution. Okay? And so I want to be aware that my body language communicates something, but I'm not contriving anything with it any more than I, I get on my knees to try and persuade God that I'm actually praying. Okay? But how many of you know when you posture yourself on your knees in prayer, it actually helps you position your heart in humility. So when I look at someone when I'm communicating with them, and I look at usually even in a, a room this size, especially I will make eye contact with the people even when I'm teaching because it lets you know I'm not talking at you, I'm talking to you. And I want people to feel that connection. So much of effective communication is about connection, more than even information. Okay? And so we establish an effective connection by communicating with our body that we're engaged, by communicating, by letting our uh, tone overflow with what we're actually expressing, what we're feeling on the inside. Do you know love unexpressed is love unfelt? I'll say that again. Love unexpressed. So I might actually feel it in my heart, but when I come over to Josh, I just say, 
He knows what that means. He feels it. It's my bro. He feels it. You know? And, um, and it may not be through physical contact. It may just be through the tone of your voice, the way you look at a person. But again, it's not, even though I'm aware that my tone of voice, physicality, all those things have impact on communication, I'm not doing that to manipulate. I'm just aware. And, it, and if my body posture starts to send a message to someone that I'm disengaged, I try and be aware that I need to adjust internally to be fully present. Does that make sense? So it should flow from the inside out, but a lot of times people, they, they just aren't aware, you know, because you haven't had to communicate in lots and lots and lots and lots of different environments, and so you get the benefit of, of the experience of someone today who has had to have a lot of experience, you know. Over the nine years that I've been here, I don't know, I was, we were writing our newsletter and kind of doing a summary of the last 10 years, and I've, like, I, Gretchen and I did the calculation on how many classes she TA'd for me, and she's TA'd like 75, of, you've been in like 75 of my classes approximately, and then all the times that I've taught interns, all the times I've preached at the jail, all the times I do one-on-one -on -one communication with evangelism, so a huge part of my, and then not including prayers on the microphone, which is a form of communication to God in front of people, probably hundreds of hours at this point of communication in groups, one-on-one -on -one and in small groups. And um, can I tell you, the best environment that has trained me to communicate is at Gwinnett County Jail. Because I go in there, there's no microphone. There's a group of guys in there that have diversity of backgrounds, education, ethnicity, and they're, <laughs> and they're all there because they need something, you know. And, it's, and, there is a, and to the degree to which they, they perceive it or don't perceive it, and not all of them, some are hungry, some aren't, some are there just to get out of their get out of their rooms, and some are there because you know they have jailhouse religion. We call it where they just they think that if I show up at church, maybe God will help me out in my case. And so you have all different kinds of people in there, and not everyone's a Christian. Not everyone's there for the right motivation. Not everyone is even mentally healthy. And you have to learn how to communicate the gospel and truth that'll be effective at their level. And I got to kind of watch Caleb do that for a few years because I partnered with him. And Caleb is an outstanding communicator because he connects. And you, even in his songs, you know, and that's what makes Caleb. Caleb is an authentic, he's not the most articulate, he's not the most prepared, but he connects with his audience because he's authentic. Caleb's a great example of that because everybody knows. If you've ever talked to Caleb in the lobby for a minute, you know that when he's singing his songs or when he's preaching, it's like the exact same Caleb, you know. But that people value that people value that authenticity, and it comes across in his communication. And um, so, back to the point of being fully present. If you cannot be fully present, I think this is an important point because not every all the time can we stop and give people our undivided attention. Just letting people know, I can't give you my undivided <laughs> attention right now. But let's set up another time to connect. You know. And that's something I've had to learn because cause you can easily hurt people's feelings or cause people to be unvalued when they're coming to share something that's important or valuable and you're trying to go from one thing to the next. And, for, and just to share just a, from a ministry perspective, right, it's like for most of us, this is where you come to fellowship, to connect with God, to build a relationship. But a lot of times that I'm here and it's, this is work is happening on Sunday, you know, at service or whatever. And it's like, so it's, it's the whatever's responsible. I'm going and getting this done or that done, that done. And people grab you and they're like, hey, I want to tell you about 
you know, and you have to make the conscious decision. I want to be fully present to this person. If I can't make that decision, I want to communicate. I want to manage their expectations. And that's a huge part of communication as well. You could just add that as an additional point here, that managing people's expectations is a great form of communication. One of the most challenging uh, sermons I ever had to preach was at my dad's funeral because I was both facilitating as the pastor but also as his son. And one of the things that Billy told me later, he attended, and he said, something you did really effectively, I don't even know if you realize that you did it, but it always stuck with me, is he said, you, you, told, you, told, you identified for people when you were changing roles. And that, and that allowed me to, that gave me permission to speak. I said, first I'm going to speak as a son, then I'm going to speak as a minister of the gospel. And I spoke about my dad affectionately, tenderly, and then I transitioned and said, now I'm going to speak as a minister of the gospel. And that helped people to navigate something internally that might have been awkward communication-wise with, uh, with understanding because I told them what I was going to do. Does that make sense? So the phrase that communicators use, and this is true in conversation with people, is you, uh, you tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. So you tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. Okay, and so I already did that for you guys once. Say I went over. This is what we're going to go through today. I'm telling you it now, and then at the end we'll summarize. Does that make sense? And that's effective for teaching, for communication, for whatever. Um, so helpful notes on communication there. Great. So being fully present. Any questions about that before we transition to point two? thoughts. So let's list real quick, what would be, what do you imagine the top five challenges are to being fully present to a person? Yes, Lynn. Can I get this on the mic? In my immediate family, none of us really listen to each other. Like, we're not able to finish complete sentences, and I get frustrated, and I just give up. Okay. So kind of this more like, more like we're not listening, we're just waiting to speak and sometimes speaking over each other. Okay, so, so just too much communication going on. It might be a personality thing, you know, because introverts and extroverts communicate totally differently. We do a Myers-Briggs seminar. We break the extroverts and the introverts into groups and we ask them to plan an ideal vacation. The introverts, literally every time... One introvert group just we're, they're supposed to draw what they're, they're supposed to come up with their ideal vacation. And one group just passed the pen, did not talk to each other, and just drew what they wanted to what their contribution was, and they didn't even talk to one another. And the extroverts are over there like screaming and yelling. And then you hold up the introverts thing, and they're all on their ideal vacation. They're all alone. They're all doing an activity alone, and the extroverts are all together. Extroverts are all shouting, yelling. And um, I remember w the, the more recent one that we did, the introverts all took turns sharing because they like to take turns in communicating. And so if, you, if you're an extrovert and you're, you know, that personality is a huge, if there was one extra session that I would do in this uh, Tools for a Healthy Relationship, it would be learning personality because personality helps you under unlock some of these differences. Because, uh, you know, Gretchen, it's super important when I communicate with Gretchen that I let her complete her sentences because she's thought through that sentence before she says it, whereas I'm thinking about whatever I said maybe after I've said it. <laughs> and it's out my mouth and I'm, it's, I'm processing verbally out loud, you know, and so my pace of conversation is much faster. Did I let you finish? Since, since you brought that up, we're a blended family. And my husband and his sons are the introverted, and he calls my side the loud family. Okay. So 
we're struggling with that. Okay. Well, maybe getting a little education and training on that might, might just help you guys understand. Because when my wife, she starts, I'm like, okay, okay, don't speak while she's sharing. Don't speak while she's sharing. Because she has thought about what she's sharing for a good 30 seconds. Or if there's silence, I want to jump in and, fill and, and ask another question because I'm thinking she must not have heard me. When really she's, she's processing. Marilyn. You said that um, you might tell a person that you can speak with them later. But there's another thing, too, where you could tell them, I'm not the best person to share. I, may I suggest this other person has expertise in that area? And that'll help. Gretchen will go over that and probably the boundaries teaching <laughs> next, saying no to people. We're gonna, one of the exercises, we're going to all, I think we have some hand mirrors, and we're all going to get them out. We're going to look, look ourselves in the mirror and say, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But we'll look at one another and say, no. I'm Angela. One of the things that I'm, I'm trying to kind of grasp in myself too is sometimes there's kind of two different paths to communication. Sometimes the content is different from the deliverable. And, and so we, we have to find out what is he really saying and what is that person really asking, which is, could be the real content, but how it's being delivered, it's all over the place. So it's just to define. Am I illustrating that for you? <laughs> uh, yes, yes. It's just to decipher what exactly is the communication coming and how to. Yeah, it's interesting. The book of Isaiah, I got this revelation. You know, Isaiah actually has one of the most complicated vocabularies of any, of any of the prophets because he was part of the royal family, commentators believe, and he was probably the best educated of the prophets. So God was providing the content, but the communication came through the particular vessel how many of you know God created your personality uniquely? And when you teach, preach, he doesn't just co-op your personality and push it to the side and, um, and you know, make you a prophecy robot or a teaching robot. He communicates through the vessels that he's created. And so that's a, a good illustration of the point that you're making because the content was fully inspired in this case of Isaiah, but the delivery of the content um, was unique to the personality and person of Isaiah, hence the vocabulary point, right? Is that yes. a good illustration of what you're saying? What did you mean by managing people's expectations? I didn't get the rest of that phrase. So managing people's expectations is sometimes a person will come to you and they want to share something really profound or they have a personal crisis and I don't have time to talk with an hour for that person or 30 minutes or I don't have time to meet with them, or whatever the, whatever the interaction, the intensity level they want is. And a lot of times, how many of you ever feel that pull if you're especially in like a counseling or pastoral situation, or you have friends and you, they're, just, they're in a needy, broken place, and you want your heart, you love them, your heart is to give to them whatever they're asking of you, because you love them, right? But you know, I don't, you know, somewhere kind of in, a, in the subtlety of your own, you're like, I don't think I can give them what they're expecting. And you kind of wrestle with that tension without ever articulating it. So what I mean by that is someone comes to you in personal crisis and you go in your mind, you go, I have 15 minutes till I have to be at my next appointment. But you go ahead and, and engage with them and let the momentum of the conversation carry over. And then 15 minutes in, you actually have to cut short that conversation and go, I actually have somewhere else to be. Whereas if you had communicated and managed their expectation on the front and saying, we can talk about this now, but I only have 15 minutes. 
then you're managing that person's expectations. Does that make sense? That's a small example. Another one would be um, just simply the, the example that um, Marilyn made that I may not be the best person to talk to you about this. You're managing the person's expectations. And so a simple way in marriage that that plays out is my wife wants to jump into a conversation about something at 11 o'clock at night. And I know it's an important conversation, but I, I can't engage with it because I'm too tired and I, it will not be a productive conversation to say, we, I can't have this conversation right now because it will not be productive, but I care about whatever the circumstance is. That's management of expectation. Does that make sense? Yes, Diane. And we're still on the topic of what are the hurdles, obstacles to, to healthy communication, and particularly being fully present. For me, if I'm going to have to, like if I only have 15 minutes, um, and I know a person's really broken and torn, and they, they really need some help, I have found it effective. I won't even start into the 15 minutes. I'll just say, boy, that is, that's really, I can tell this is important to you. I want to I wanna meet with you about this. This is not a good time for me because I have this. However, can we meet and then just tell them, like, even if it's the next day? And, and I've never had that had a bad response because I know what it's like to start telling someone something where your heart's ripped and then you have to stop. That's painful. So I would, I, for me, I, I would usually just say, let them know that I connect with the value of this conversation. I want it, but this is not a good time. And then I find a way to suggest another time. Or can I call you? Or can I text you with what might be a better time? And that seems to satisfy. That's great. Very helpful. And the reason I make this, this point is because I'm explaining about being fully present, right? And if you're making it a goal to be fully present to people, you're going to find yourself a lot of times taking longer to have a conversation. You're going to find yourself drawing things out of people that you don't intend. And so I have to give you the counterpoint so you don't walk around um, burdened by your inability to do this, that it's okay for you to not be, you need to be fully present to people, but that doesn't mean you have to always give them the hour-long conversation that they want with you right then, that being fully present to a person tends to communicate. You know, what happens a lot of times is, and I've seen it happen, is if I get on my phone while I'm talking to somebody, it, it actually, that'll, s I don't want to truncate the conversation or the dialogue. How many of you have gone to a person for help or input or whatever, but something about, something subtle about their body language or, or the way they communicate says, I'm, I'm not really interested in this conversation, and so you with, withdraw, right? But if they're engaged with you, hey, you're going to go for it because this person's giving me their attention, they're sending me those signals. That, and so if you condition yourself to send the signals to people that I'm engaged, I care about you, I want to listen to you, guess what's going to happen? You're gonna, they're going to bite on that, and you're going to end up having, and if you're an introvert, you're going to end up having a whole lot more conversations than you bargained for if you practice being fully present. So I'm giving you the counterpoint so that you can walk in wisdom to actually manage people's expectations so you don't walk around burdened by the necessity of being fully present to people, uh, getting into all these deep conversations and not knowing what to do to get out of them. <laughs> Does that make sense? So those two are really, really important. Yes? Um, sometimes in these situations, you know how to handle that with adults because I've done that for many years, but sometimes when you get with children and realize they need you fully present too. 
You know, sometimes we have a tendency to talk about this, that, or the other, or you're on the phone or you're doing something different. But children, especially teenage children, they need you to stop and listen to them, and that's important. What do you do when um, you want to be fully present with someone, but the conversation goes somewhere that you do not want it to go to, and you want to get out of the conversation, but you want to be fully present. So how do you handle that in a very respectful way, but end it? Yes, and so let me move forward with, since we're still just on point one, <laughs> we'll move forward and I think we'll be able to hit some of that and tell me if I don't answer that effectively as we go forward. Um, so being fully present, I think we've, we've covered that pretty with pretty good intensity. So if we're fully present, and then we want to practice listening in three directions, and this is especially, I think, something that many in our IHOP community are comfortable with, because we practice listening to God in conversation and prayer. And we practice in the prophecy rooms, listening to God and communicating, right? And so it's taking those same skills of what we practice in the prayer room, or what we practice in the prophetic ministry, and applying them in conversation. And the three directions I want to listen to is I want to listen to the Holy Spirit, I want to listen to my own resources of wisdom and intuition that God has given me. Because sometimes God will speak in, in give me clarity and direction. A lot of times he'll speak out of my intuition, you know, and th because there's a renewing that's going on in my life. And so a lot of times there's that sense that the Holy Spirit is speaking in a way that's almost external to my person. It's like the voice of the Lord internally, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a word of prophecy. The Holy Spirit speaking, giving an I impression, something that's distinct even from, your, from yourself. It's the... It's you're accessing the, the spirit of Christ in you and you recognize that as being distinct from your own person. But yet you should not negate the wisdom, the intuition, the experiences that God has given you that are also a resource. So you want to listen to the Holy Spirit, your own person. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, your own heart. And then you want to engage and listen to what the person is telling you. And this is the point that Miss Marlene, uh, you know, especially related to in your last question, just talking about the value of listening to your children or listening to, uh, you know, and, and the importance of giving them your undivided attention, right, is that many times in communication, people will tell you what's most important to them, but if you're not listening, right, with the Holy Spirit and not listening to their heart, then you're going to miss those phrases of significance, and so listening for significance and, and practicing identifying what is most important. And so I wrote a little passage here, uh, John 10.3, that's obviously just an encouragement to you guys. You are the sheep of the Lord, and the sheep hear the sh voice of the good shepherd. Daniel, you hear the voice of the shepherd because you are his sheep. If you're a sheep in this room, just acknowledge it with just a raise of the hand. You are a sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd. So you have a promise that you hear his voice and you will not listen to the voice of another. And so that's just an encouragement to us. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. As it relates to hearing the person and dialing into what people are saying, you want to listen to words that indicate for significance. People often tell us what is most important to them. So just take a moment. I'm going to read this, and then I want you to underline or highlight the words that strike you as significant. So... I had a really hard day today. I got up and was tired because the baby kept me awake all night. This is fictitious of a, a wife. 
Um, my husband had an early appointment, so he was out the door before the kids got up. I didn't even get to have my quiet time with the Lord. I really felt disconnected from God and betrayed by my own family, even though I know none of those things were their fault. So underline the little parts of that. That might be a real conversation you have with a friend over the phone or in the lobby or a text message that they send to you. What words strike you as significant from that little paragraph? Marilyn. Tired, disconnected, betrayed, and fault. Okay. Any other words stand out? I didn't have enough time with the Lord. Okay. Awesome. Um, hard, tired, husband, early, betrayed, and none. <laughs> so you guys are hitting them. Most of the words that people, people will add a, a, an adverb to things. Um, I really felt right there. They're telling you what was, what's most important. When someone says, I really felt, or this is what was hardest, or I couldn't believe, that's a place where someone is, is indicating to you what is most important. And so a few of you guys identified, and I think you identified pretty well there, but that I really felt disconnected from God, betrayed by my own family. So I would have I identified, um, you know, the first thing, they're just explaining the circumstances, but then they transition from explaining the circumstances to how they experience them, and how they experience them is what is important. Because how many of you know, someone could have had this exact same set of circumstances, but experienced it totally differently. And some people don't even know how to communicate about their experiences, and you have to draw them out. They say, I'm having a really hard day today. I don't even know my, I mean, I'm tired because my baby was crying all night and my husband left early this morning, but I've just been feeling really negatively. And learning to draw that out by listening, hey, they don't even, they aren't even in touch with, with how they feel. But then sometimes they'll tell you what's important. I felt betrayed, or I felt hurt, or I felt alone, or I felt shame. And learning to ask those questions that draw out what a person is experiencing. And a simple one can be, what were you experiencing? Or how did you feel? Those simple, open questions. Now, what we don't want to do, okay, and you can write this into your notes. Um, how many of you know, asking builds bridges, telling builds walls? So if you hear the person say, I felt really betrayed because my, and you go, girl, you just need to get your husband to make sure he stays and takes care of the, is that going to be very helpful? <laughs> well, why don't you go do your quiet time right now and get that thing knocked out? How have you been, if you take a per, what a person tells you that's significant and turn it around into a piece of advice that, it, that actually implies that that person is not able to manage their own life, they need you to tell them what to do. How I many you know that person's not going to share what's important going on inside of them anymore with you? So you want to be fully present to people. And what happens is if you learn to be fully present, but then you give advice out of that place, people will feel betrayed by you. They don't even know why. Because your body language, your eye contact, everything will draw a person out. And then in the midst of drawing them out, you hit them with a piece of unsolicited advice <laughs> about what is most important or difficult for them. And they're going to feel like a punch in the gut, and they're not even going to know why. I don't know. You might have to go back and listen to on the recording. I can try again. What aspect? Oh, asking builds bridges, telling builds walls. Yeah, that's a Larry Bolden quote. That's not my own, but it's very true. 
and I do it with my wife all the time because, because we want the short and easy remedy, don't we? So we just, they're talking about the problems and all the complicated emotions, and you say, honey, you just need to take that to the prayer room, and you just give that piece of advice, right? And it might be good advice, okay? But it doesn't further that connection. Now, if she says, what do you think I should do in this situation, then I've won her trust sufficiently to give a piece of input, okay? But even with our most trusted relationships, when we tell people what to do, it, even if it's good advice, especially when a person is sharing vulnerably, you tell people what to do, it tends to, um, it tends to feel condescending. It tends to feel uh, negative for most people. So what should you do? I mean, I think there's still an, certainly an appropriate place to give advice when it's invited and welcomed. What's the old expression? Um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? And so you have to win people's trust and win the right to be heard before you bless them with the wisdom and knowledge that you have. It's like, how many of you know most people know what they should have done differently? The issue is not, the issue a lot of times is not information. It has more to do with motivation. And being listened to and loved in the midst of your pain can actually increase a person's motivation far more than your advice can. I need to go back and listen to this myself. I'm like, oh my God, I need to do better at that. So listening for significance is very, very important. And then using that significance to uh, ask effective questions. And so that's what I transitioned to right there without you guys knowing, effectively asking questions, Roman numeral three. Right above there, I just drew on a couple uh, scriptures of wisdom. I'll touch on those briefly, and then we'll go right into effectively asking questions. So we want to dial down our internal dialogue that is trying constantly to solve the problems or situations with our own solutions before the person is even done speaking. Do you realize, like, as we listen to people, we're oftentimes trying to formulate our response so that we can solve their problem before they're even done telling us what the issue is. That's why scripture tells us that fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. You can judge for yourself whether you fall in that category or not. James 1.19, understand this, my dear brothers, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. We want to be eager and quick to listen, and we want to listen all the way through and ask clarifying questions to get to significance as we interact and communicate with people. Does that make sense? And then how we want to respond. So if we've been fully present, if we've listened effectively in three directions, again, our first response is not advice giving, but our, uh, we've listened in three directions our first response is not advice giving, but it's effectively asking questions that draw out the most important information. I told you in the front end, I said, you know, most of what we're going to talk about with communication is actually going to be about listening, right? Because our ability to communicate is dependent on our ability to connect. You know, they tell you when you're doing job interviews, they say one of the best ways to have a good job interview is if you can get them to share 80% and you to share 20%, they will, people will actually leave the conversation with a favorable impression of their interaction with you. 
in job interviews, they'll tell you, this is just secular world, they'll say, if you can get, if you can limit the dialogue, you know, if you basically can prevent from being a monologue, but you can draw the person into conversation where they talk more than you actually talk in the interview, you will leave the interview with, they'll have a, a favorable impression of the conversation with you. They won't even fully know why. Which, in Proverbs, it says, you know, the man who, uh, the man who restrains his speech is thought to be wise. So in Proverbs, gives it to us right there. Okay, so effectively asking questions. This is the, uh, so if I could have a volunteer, this is a simple principle. There's so much that we could talk about effectively asking questions and reflective listening. But, um, but I just want to highlight the difference between open and closed questions because it's a really simple tool. And, and, um, and it will allow you to keep a conversation going. So, so if somebody could come up and be my volunteer, my guinea pig, to dialogue with me. All right, Liz, come on up. Okay, so I'm going to ask you questions about your day, okay? So uh, what did you do this morning when you got up? So what, is a, uh, what did you do today? Is a, that's a relatively open question, okay. I got up and I brushed my teeth and I went to the bathroom and put my contacts in. Okay, now I'm going to start asking a series of closed questions, okay? So why did you do that? I needed to. <laughs> I can't see without my contacts. Why can't you see without your contacts? Because my vision isn't proper and I have not received the healing I desire yet. Why haven't you been healed yet? <laughs> That's a great question. I wish I had a good answer for you. Do you think you should be healed by now? Yes. Why haven't you been? <laughs> I don't know. So by asking closed questions, the nature of the conversation starts to get very confrontational, even unintentionally. Right, like we're light and jovial, but she's like, I don't know, don't ask me that. Because when we ask why and do, okay, yes or no questions, it leaves very limited opportunity for people to share, okay? Now I'm going to do the exact same thing, and all I'm going to do is I'm going to change it to how and why. Uh, I'm sorry, not how and why, how and what, okay? How and what, so just to clarify. Why and do tend to lead us into closed questions. How and what tend to lead us into open questions. Okay? Does that make sense? Very practical. All right. So, Liz, what did you do today? I got up and got ready to go brush my teeth, put my contacts in, ate lunch, and came here. How was that for you? It was challenging because it felt like I had to get up and move very quickly to get here. What about moving quickly to get here was challenging? It makes me feel like I don't have time to pr mentally prepare for my day, and so I run into it without having thought through what's going on. So what are some ways that you think you could have thought through that differently? Having prepared what I was going to wear before I got up this morning would have been helpful, and also having a plan for what I was going to eat before I left, or before I got ready to go. Is there anything else that would have been helpful? Now, let me give you an example of a close question. This is the exact same question, one open, one closed. I just ask, is there anything else you could have done to be helpful? Open. Do you think you could have done anything else that would have been helpful? Maybe. <laughs> See how much less conversation comes? Just the simple substitution of do instead of, instead of what. So, yeah, what could you have done differently that would have been helpful? I think 
I don't know that I could have done a whole lot differently since I tend to be more of a night person. It's just challenging to get up and get going in the morning. So I try to prepare as much as I can on the front end, like what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to eat, so I don't have to think through those things and I can get up and just move through them without giving it a lot of thought. So how would you have experienced your day differently if you had, uh, if you had done some of those things that you, that you know to do and, and had thought about? Would it have created a different result? I probably would have felt a little less rushed and a little less stressed coming into it. Would that have been a good thing? Yes. <laughs> so that was a close question. I just <laughs> switched it to close. Thanks, Liz, so much for sharing vulnerably a little bit about your day <laughs> with us. How I many know we could have gone a lot deeper in conversation there because Liz is just like opening up, you know. But when you w- it, when you rotate those words between um, between why and do and uh, could, could you have done anything different? That's closed also. Um, but how, what, uh, and, and um, would there have been, would is sometimes tricky. It just depends on kind of how you phrase it. But in general, questions that are open that can be answered with the person's experience. Uh, and this is the golden question. If you ever want to draw a person out, tell me more about that. You can have a whole lengthy conversation with a person using just that phrase. And we will actually do that right now. Who would like to be my guinea pig for that one? Oh, you were laughing. So clearly, (laughs) Diane, come on. All right, come up here. I'll put my arm around you so that we can just love Dee Dee. (laughs) Dee Dee, what what do you want to talk about today in this conversation we're about to have? Just pick, you can pick anything. Doesn't even have to be deep. It can be so not deep. Would you repeat the question? <laughs> what would you like to talk about? Oh, I'd like to talk about uh, avoiding gossip. Okay. Tell me more about that. Well, I have a friend, and it seems like every conversation always gets into gossip. Tell me more about that. Well, it's just been an ongoing thing for years. <laughs> Could you say a little bit more about that? Uh, well, I love this person, and I want to minister to them, but they're so busy talking that I really have a difficult time injecting what I really want to say. How do you experience that when that happens? I'm uh, saddened. Can you say some more about that? I think about it more often than I probably should. Can you say a little more about that? Obviously, this is not a natural conversation, but I'm illustrating a point. Well, I have faith that it can change. Tell me more about that. Well, I just keep praying. (laughs) And what has that been, uh, how has that been impacting the situation? Well, it builds my faith, and I feel like if I continue to speak positive things, that I can draw them into something more positive rather than negative. Amen, I believe that too. How'd you experience this conversation? It was fun. (laughs) Good, please grab a seat. (laughs) So what information did we get simply by me reproducing that one same question over and over and over again? Layers of information, right? What did we, where did we start at? She wants to hear more about the issue of gossip. Why do you want to hear more? And you can tell I was listening, right? Even though the conversation was going pretty fast. 
why does she want to hear more about gossip? Because she has a friend that, that it's really hard for her and, and her compassion is stirred for this person because it's hard for her to minister to them because a lot of times there's just this continual sharing, right? It's hard to get words in that penetrate the heart because of their continual sharing. And so she wants to know, how can I bypass that to be able to address this person? And, um, and she was sharing about how she's been praying for this person and how praying about it is a real resource to strengthen her faith and her hope that God would bring about something different. And when I asked her about that, she said, well, I want to continue to do that because I know that when I approach the situation from that perspective of faith, I'm being an example and I'm being uh, you know, a, a transformative agent in this person's life where they're seeing what could be um, and I'm modeling that for them. Did you guys, did I summarize it correctly? Now, if I had intermingled some of that summary with asking, tell me more about that, we could have had a lengthy conversation where I would have gotten a whole lot of information, could have asked some effective questions. She experienced the conversation really positively, even though it was a short little demonstration, got a lot of information by just asking one question over and over, right? Because it was an open question. Does that make sense? So we want to be fully present. We want to listen in three directions. We want to effectively ask questions. And then we want to share from our heart. And I'll model that in Didi's situation. And when we share from our heart, this is a simple tool called covering. And you just affirm, identify, and share. Okay? And um, again, if you do this as a technique without a genuine heart behind it, that's manipulation. But uh, like I mentioned earlier, love unarticulated is love unfelt. And so Didi could leave that conversation feeling very exposed, having shared her heart and not heard any feedback from me. So I just want to affirm, Didi, that f first off, you are invested in the lives of your friends and your relationships, and that encourages and challenges me. I can identify, because I have a relationship with a close family member, where it feels like all I hear is the negative speech, and it's, it's hard to minister to them because it's hard to get through and reach their heart through that negativity. And, um, and when you were sharing, I was thinking about that person. And, uh, and even though I don't know who your friend is, you know, my heart was touched with your care for, for them. You're welcome. Thank you for being so vulnerable with us, right? Was that long? Was that long time me sharing? Did I hijack the conversation? No, I just affirmed her genuinely, identified with her, you know, that I could have been in a similar place in my life, and I shared how I experienced her. You know when you share something vulnerable and, and someone just goes, hmm, okay. Oh, wasn't expecting that. <laughs> and maybe they weren't, you know, <laughs> but they don't say anything else. You're like, okay, never doing that again. <laughs> never going there with you again, my friend. Right? Because you just, you just, you know, emotionally derobed right and you thought it you did it because you thought it was a safe place sometimes people don't need to do that and you just tell them hey we don't have the kind of relationship where i need to, you know again we'll cover that in boundaries but when somebody does do that and you've invited it through being fully present to them l listening in three directions effectively asking questions now they're sharing deeply you have to cover them at the end of that conversation does that make sense okay good. And so if you hear me doing that, don't go, oh, he's just techniquing me. Know that I'm trying to communicate genuinely what I feel from my heart, but it is a skill that's learned. It's a communication skill that we have to learn. How many of you guys had parents? You know your parents loved you, but they never became skillful at communicating it in a way that you could receive. 
And through doing that, you actually you know, damage the relationship, not because they didn't love you, but because they were hindered in their capacity to communicate it. That's why we have to, that's why we have to learn these skills to get a healthy relationship. Lynn, yes. Yeah, go ahead. Gossiping, like for one, what is it and how do you handle a person that's gossiping? Yeah, so I, I think that there is a sincere sharing like I'm sh I might share something with a person about another person genuinely because I lack wisdom, right, in how to handle that situation. And I think the spirit of that person's betterment, that is not gossip. What gossip is, in my opinion, is when we are sharing something about somebody else in order to, uh, in order to de degrade them and win approval, recognition, boost to our own ego. And ultimately, it's all about self-gratification instead of the benefit of the other. And so if you're having a conversation about someone else that ultimately is about their betterment, even if it discloses some things that aren't positive about them, and the but the spirit of it is their betterment, then I think you're in a safe place, even if, even if it's, you know, you're not doing a good job articulating it. I think you can do a bad job articulating things if you have a good heart, okay? And you can be cautious. And if the person is cautious about not wanting to gossip and really want, then you're in a safe place. If a person is sh shooting off at their mouth and it's all about a self-gratifying self-elevation, that is generally, I think, the spirit of gossip that's destructive. Does that make sense? Yes. Hey, I'm not comfortable with what you're sharing right now. Could you please stop? <laughs> I mean, you, we got to get some boldness on us about righteousness. Like, hey, I'm, I'm not comfortable with the way you're talking about that person. I think, I think we should just hit pause on this conversation. You know, that, that's, how I, that's how I approach if I feel like a person. And I don't go, you're gossiping right now or whatever, because that's generally not probably very constructive. But, hey, I'm just not comfortable with the way you're sharing right now. Or, hey, I want us to be above reproach in our speech towards others. And so, you know, I, that, that's all. I mean, literally, I think a lot of times people don't usually, unless someone's a very forceful, and then if someone tries to force that situation, you know, then you have to set a firmer boundary. But generally just a, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. Or you can send, the, I'll send the physical cues that I'm not interested in hearing that. A lot of times just not responding will cause a person to be quiet. So they're, they're gossiping and you just, sorry you feel that way. And just let silence speak for us. <laughs> I, just, I just let the conversation run out, run out you know, if, if you don't feel bold enough to set the firm boundary. But again, I'm pretty good. That's a more advanced level of communication. I think your better option for ending a conversation you don't want to be in is, I'm sorry, I don't want to continue with what we're talking about right now. And we have to be comfortable being able to say no. Gretchen will cover this in a second. We have to be able to be comfortable to say no so that our yes can be real when we give it. If our yes is taken from us, we'll walk around feeling taken advantage of, a victim of our circumstances, never actually feeling responsible for our own person. And that's a key to healthy relationship that we're going to go into in depth. Yes. One of the things I found out that works for me is when people start talking about things that I'm not comfortable with, I'll say, let's pray. Listen, the spirit of gossip will lead the room when you say, let's pray. Yeah, let's pray for that. Let's, let's pray for that person. That's brilliant. I love that. That works is to say, have you shared that with that person? That's a great because that's biblically what they're supposed to have done. Have you approached them about? Have you approached them about that? Yes, yes, ma'am. Um, 
my question <laughs> okay so my <laughs> my question is um for uh point two listening in three directions um the first one was i'm um, listening for the holy spirit um so what do you do when someone passes you well, you can tell that they're passing their opinion or feelings or beliefs off as the holy spirit and they're saying it's the holy spirit but you know it's not so what do you do when the other person's community you have to listen to the um holy spirit to speak to you but what do you do when that person be believes that that's what they're doing but you know that's not the holy spirit speaking yeah so a couple of things it first depends on the level of relationship with them whether i'm going to correct them or not in that and whether they're asking for my input you know but if a person says well i feel like the lord told me to this this and this you know uh and they're just sharing that in passing i'm not going to correct and i'm not going to presume to know if if my intuition is that that's not right and they ask me my opinion i'll share it with them if i feel like they're doing something dangerous or detrimental to them i'll say that doesn't bear witness with me or i'll say hey, i don't have agreement with that and my but if someone tries to give something to me like a prophetic word like directive to me um, if it's something that I feel a peace about in my spirit, I'll receive it. If it's something that it's not, I'll just, I, I don't even have to verbally, if, if you need to set that boundary verbally, you can just say, I'm sorry, I don't receive that from you. Um, or you can just not receive it in your spirit. You can close your spirit to it. Does that make sense? Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say open and close your spirit? You can just close, do not receive that. And, you know, and if it feels oppressive to you or it's got some demonic unction on it, that feels like it attaches to you in a negative way, word curse or whatever, you can just have somebody pray a cleansing prayer over you and, and remove that. Because our God created us in his image, and God created everything with his speech. And so Proverbs tells us life and death is in the power of the tongue. God created everything through his words. Jesus was the word made flesh, right? And so our words, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is completely untrue. And it's completely untrue because lots of destructive things have happened in the world and in each of our lives because of the words that were spoken, because of the things that were demonically empowered or the things that were hindered because of words. No, it's not blasphemy. Blasphemy is specifically assaulting the name of God in a specific way, but it's just negative speech. You know, and the scripture tells us to let all of our speech be flavored uh, like salt with, with grace, to have salty speech. Yes, Liz. And then we've got to move on because we've got to get Gretchen up here. Um, so how do you, if you've got a point where you have to be able to dial down quickly because you've got a meeting and you just haven't had the chance to even switch hats, how do you do that quickly when you don't actually have the time to step away for a few minutes? So I'll bring this back to the earlier point. Manage people's expectations. And this is something I'm trying to learn. If you feel like you need a moment to transition, you can ask someone, can I take a moment to <laughs> transition? You know, you're going from one meeting or one activity to the next and you're, your heart is not prepared for the situation you're about to go into, ask the person for permission to, to engage your heart. And this is a, to, to you know, address whatever issues in your heart. And so, so much of effective communication is about growing in self-awareness, managing people's expectations, and learning what uh, is, uh, what it is you want to communicate, you know, and, and getting in touch with that and then learning to articulate it. And most of the time, what informs what I want to communicate is effective listening. Does that make sense? Cool. Okay. Are you guys feeling now like I'm a classic guitarist and you guys are like, I'm never going <laughs> to remember I told you, you might start to feel that way. And I just want to remind you that you guys can go back and listen to this audio. You can pick one or two or three of these, these uh, skills 
begin to practice them and you will see yourself develop in the art of effective communication. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So last point we covered, being fully present, listening in three directions, effectively ask questions, sharing from your heart, which I modeled with Didi, affirm, identify, and share. And I put some examples there. Savoring the moment. This is one of the most powerful tools. I said the least about it because it's something you have to feel even more than I can just teach you in a few bullet points. Okay? But I think one of the most powerful scriptural examples, John 11.35. Jesus has come to the tomb of Lazarus. His, it says, immediately following this verse, when they see Jesus weeping, they say, look how much he loved him. And Jesus knows. He's let Lazarus die. He's told his disciples, we can't go yet so my father can have maximum glory. Right? He's let his friend Lazarus die. Mary has come out to him and said, Lord, if you, if Martha's come out to him and said, Lord, if you were here, he, would, he wouldn't have died. And now the, the, I believe Jesus is just, what his friend has had to go through, the pain and suffering of those around him, and he's just impacted by it, though he it fully knows he's about to go raise Lazarus from the dead. He's not disengaged, and that's the thing that's amazing about God, is though God is transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient, how many of you know he's not worried about how your circumstances so heartbreaking is going to turn out? He's not worried about it. He's not stressed. He's not in fear. He is completely in control in the best kind of way. But yet, in the midst of that, somehow the God who is fully transcendent became fully eminent in the form of his son Jesus, took on flesh, and will weep with us in our places of pain and brokenness. And that is incarnational ministry, to enter with a person, not just with sympathy, but empathy that actually feels the victory and the defeat of whatever their circumstances. And when we ask questions and draw on the heart and connect relationally with a person, and one of the most powerful things Jamie Burns talks about, one of the, the, and this was true for me when my dad passed away, one of the most powerful healing things were good friends around me that wept with me and were wise enough to not give advice. That related heart to heart, that in the sense savoring the moment, being fully present in that moment and, and just entering in with you and the Holy Spirit to whatever your experience is. You know, people share something that's devastating and difficult and you just, instead of th throwing up all of our barriers of trying to fix their pain so that we don't hurt, <laughs> right? So many times that's our knee-jerk reaction. Something's just unbelievably difficult and we are speechless. We have no... It's a, it's a rape. It's a person that, that dies without Christ suddenly, and it's devastating. And we look at the devastation of a person's life, and we just want to say something to just try and, and, and let, make their pain go away. <laughs> and instead of doing that, saying instead of just saying, oh, I'm so sorry, actually just letting, letting that touch you. And I can't... Uh, there's no mathematic equation to it. But if you do these steps, it will land you there. If you are fully present to people, if you truly listen to their heart, if you effectively and caringly ask them questions, and if you share and respond from your heart, and you go through that process with them in communication, you'll find yourself in a place of genuine empathy. 
And it's in the place of empathy that the God who fully empathizes with us, fully acquainted with our suffering and our weakness and our frailty, can actually manifest himself through us. And we can be the body of Christ that weeps with people in their pain while simultaneously being full of faith that God is in control. And when someone's life is broken, we don't have to say, well, be blessed, brother, sister, God is in control. We can just weep with them. And we can know God is in control. But how do you know, how many of you know you can be topically right but relationally wrong? You can have the right information, but you can be relationally out of tune. And that does not foster connection, fosters dissonance and disconnection. Amen. So I'm going to pray for you guys just to get this and whatever God has given me for him to give it to you just in a moment of impartation. Father, I thank you for relational skills and, the, and communication. And I ask right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, impart supernatural wisdom. Lord, you say if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask and you will give it generously. I ask for wisdom and skill to convey the love that is in our heart in the place of communication with siblings, spouses, husbands, wives, those seeking ministry from us. Lord, impart that grace right now to be a clear communicator. And what do we want to communicate above all else? The person of Jesus in the heart of our God who loves and meets us in our places of brokenness. So Jesus, give us the gift of that. Give us a vision for that. Give us excellence in that. Just Jesus, as you made yourself fully naked, fully vulnerable at the cross. Lord, I pray we would be unafraid to be vulnerable in our brokenness and in our weakness. And from the place of vulnerability, we would communicate your love. From the place of brokenness, we would meet people in their weakness and we would communicate your love. God, make us, above all else, exceptional communicators of the love of God to every person we meet. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good, let's just take.